Welcome to Practical Christian Living. I wish that people wouldn't give predictions for when Jesus is going to come back, but that they would say, the stage is set. Jerusalem is under Jewish control. Israel is a nation. All of these things are the things that we see in the last days. And if the stage is set, what are we doing living like the stage isn't set? Today on Practical Christian Living, we bring you the second part of our opening study in an exciting mini-series we titled, Israel, the Bible, and the Last Days. We'll be looking at Ezekiel chapters 36 through 39, looking at the prophecies that have been fulfilled and were set in motion when Israel became a nation once again in 1948. We hope this study will ignite in you a passion to live for Jesus like never before. Now, here's Robert Furrow. There are dozens of prophecies that talk about Israel in the last days, the wars, the struggles that they will go through. I don't know what they do with them when they believe in, in replacement theology, that all the promises God made to Israel is to the church and Israel just so happens to be a nation again today. Think about it, they became a nation through Abraham and then, Isaac, and then, and then 12 sons of Jacob. Then they were removed from being a nation by the, by the Babylonians. Then they became a nation again then they were removed by the Romans, and then they became a nation again. And the Bible told us that was going to happen, that God was going to reach out a second time and bring Israel back into the land and bring them in from all around the world. God foretold these things. He knew it. He saw it. On top of that, Israel is going to be saved. They are going to receive Jesus as their Messiah. It happens in the tribulation period when the Antichrist puts up a statue of himself in the newly remade temple. That's where this whole thing's going. In the newly remade temple, he puts up a statue. So with that in mind, let's just read through a few passages. Right? I'm not trying to be thor completely thorough in this. We can do a series on it at some point. I'm really wanting to, where we can dive in more. But this is kind of just an, an overview of what's happening. So I want to start in Luke 21. I want to start in verse 20. Jesus talks about Jerusalem being surrounded by armies. And there are people that say that this has to be the, 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 the war of Rome in 70 AD that destroyed Jerusalem. But the context doesn't let it be that, but the context also says it's that. So when Jesus says Jerusalem is going to be surrounded by armies, the context is talking about 70 AD and the end of the world. All right, we'll see that as it unfolds. So in verse 20, it says, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that desolation is near. That would be both the end of, of the world and now. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart and let not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance that all things which are written may be fulfilled. That's why it cannot be only 70 A.D. It tells us right there in the text, these are the days of vengeance that all things will be fulfilled. This is the end of the world. And Israel will be displaced again in the end of the world. Even though they win the, the Gog and Magog war, the Antichrist will once again attack them and they will be driven from their land and supernaturally protected by God in the wilderness. This is in the book of Revelation. And so then it says, so this is the days of vengeance when all things that are written may be fulfilled. 
But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. The Bible calls the tribulation period a time of God's wrath, and it's called a time of Jacob's trouble. It says here that it's a time of wrath upon these people in the days of vengeance. First Timothy tells us that in the latter days, perilous times will come. I believe that we're living in those latter days when perilous times will come. It then says in verse, the middle of verse 23, or well, excuse me, verse 24, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations and Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So here it has to be 70 AD. The first part is the end of the age. Now Jerusalem is taken by the Romans and, G and, um, and Jesus says, this is Jesus talking, and Jerusalem will be trampled, trampled by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. Specifically, the city of Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles. That happened when Israel was dispersed in 70 AD until they took control of it again in 1967. They had partial control of it before that, but they took complete control of it in 1967. Now, there's another phrase to the time of the Gentiles, and we'll read it here in a moment in, in Romans, that Israel will be saved when the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. And we believe that that is the rapture of the church when we were caught, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, when we were, are caught up in the air to meet the Lord in the air, and we will forever be with Him, and there will be a partial resurrection at that point. Those who have died in Christ will be raised up in their bodies and meet uh, their spirits and they will be with the Lord first and then we will be caught up as 1 Corinthians 15 says in a moment and twinkling of an eye and we will forever be with the Lord. And so it goes on to say here then and there will be signs of the sun and the moon and the stars and the, and the earth, the stress of nations. So this is back to the end of the world again. Jerusalem is trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is complete. Then the end of the world happens. Then there's a seven-year trial and tribulation period worse than anything this world has ever seen and then the end comes and Jesus returns and he sends his angels out, verses 29 through 32, to gather together Israel and any tribulation saints that have been supernaturally, Israel is supernaturally protected by God during the tribulation period, all right? Now, we're told in Luke 21 as well, in Matthew 24, to learn a lesson from the fig tree. In Luke it says, and all of the trees that from the going forth, from the budding forth of the leaves until the end, this generation will not pass away. Now, this is why so many people have set dates recently because Israel became a nation in 1948. When I first got saved, everybody said a biblical generation was 40 years. And so that was 1988. You subtract seven years and you get 1981. There were all kinds of people. You guys remember this? All kinds of people that set dates for 1981. And then a book came out, 88 Reasons for 88. And Jesus didn't come back in 88, so the guy came out with a book, 89 Reasons for 89. And Jesus didn't come back in 89. And so then people went, well, it wasn't 48 that you had the 40 years to. It's 67 when Jerusalem came under their control. That's the budding forth of the, the branches, and that generation will not pass away. And so you add 40 years to 67 and you come to 2007, you subtract seven years and you come to the year 2000. And do you guys remember the Y2K and all the chaos of 2000? And all the people saying Jesus was coming back in 2000? So you get how, how these dates are being met. 
Also, Jesus died on the first few feasts. He died and rose again and penned the Feast of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit was given. And in September is the Feast of Trumpets. And at a shout, at the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, we are taken up into heaven. So everybody believes it's going to be in September. So when people, when you hear people like camping and other people name dates in September, they believe that Jesus is going to come back for his church in September. So every year you hear people claiming that these are going to be the dates. What do I believe? I believe that it could be a connection to 67. When Jesus said that Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot until the time of the Gentiles is completed. We may be living on borrowed time right now. And that generation for 67, if you were alive in 67, however long that generation is alive, and I'm, I'm not going into the, the biblical 40 years or the biblical 80 years, I'm just saying the generation. People who are alive still, so what could that be, 120 years afterwards? So if you go to 67 to, to 2087 or so, I think we're living in those last days. Now, this is what I think. I'm not predicting the end. You guys don't come to me in 2087 and say, you were wrong. We'll be in heaven anyway. All right. But I think that Jesus could come back at any moment because we are the only generation that has Israel, Jerusalem under Israeli control and has the nation of Israel as well. And all of these Bible passages that tell us about these things. And so I do believe that we are living in the last days. I'll tell people that regularly without explaining it all because I don't want to go into all the detail. But I do believe that we are living in the last days. And I believe that these are signs for those days. Now, there are people today that say this is the 73rd year in two days. So the rapture of the church better happen soon because they got a biblical generation happening in 80 years after 47. Add that, you know, and then subtract seven years. And I guess, well, I guess you get back to, well, it's 73 years anyway. I'm not doing all their math right. But they're all excited now that this could be the year that Jesus is going to come back in September. You're going to hear that all again. You may be tired of it. Trust me, I understand. I'm tired of it too. I wish that people wouldn't give predictions for when Jesus is going to come back, but that they would say the stage is set. Jerusalem is under Jewish control. Israel is a nation. All of these things are the things that we see in the last days. And if the stage is set, what are we doing living like the stage isn't set? What are we doing living our lives in such a way as if Jesus could not come back at any moment. We are living in those very days that he could return. Let me give you a few other passages. If you want to, you could turn in your Bible to Romans 11.25. They'll get it up on the screen here. Romans 11.25 through 27. Here is a promise that Israel is going to be saved. It says, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. So he says that the nation of Israel is going to return to God again is mysterious. It's a mystery. No wonder there's so many people who don't understand it lest you should be wise in your own opinion. And this happens with people about the last days. People get puffed up and arrogant about their position. Trust me, on YouTube, in the comment section, there's going to be people all like, Robert, you're such an idiot. You're so stupid. It's going to be, it'll be all over it when they're, they're hearing this. But don't be puffed up. Don't be prideful. And besides that, this is an in-house discussion. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. What are you doing calling people idiots? Cut it out. We're supposed to be gentle and kind to those who are wrong. We're supposed to be loving. All right, off the soapbox now. Back to the text. Lest you be wise in your own opinion that blindness in part has happened to Israel 
until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. There is a blindness in part to Israel. There are Jews today who get saved, and the closer we get, the more and more Jewish people are getting saved. It happened in part. It's not the entire Jewish nation. It's only part. But blindness has happened to them in part until the fullness of the Gentiles. This is the same term Jesus used. Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. Blindness has happened in part until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. And so all of Israel will be saved. This is where I don't understand replacement theology. Just admit you're wrong. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with saying you're wrong. There's nothing wrong with saying I changed my mind. There's nothing wrong with the Bible changed my mind. I, we, I used to think this. I was brought up believing this. But the Bible says that all of Israel will be saved in Romans. This is after the church is already in existence, right? He says all of Israel will be saved. How can you turn that into a metaphor? I don't understand it. I'm displaying some frustration now because I don't understand it. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away in godliness from Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Zechariah 12.10 I will pour a spirit of mercy and grace out upon Jerusalem and they will mourn for me as one who mourns for an only son when they look upon me, God speaking, whom they pierced in Jerusalem. When did they pierce God in Jerusalem? They will suddenly realize when the Antichrist betrays them that Jesus, that Yeshua is the Messiah and they will weep that they didn't receive him and accept him and as a nation they will receive him and they will be saved. Look at Joel 3 verses 1 and 2. I'm not sure I'm going to get through all of these passages, so I'm just going to do as many as I can, and we'll do other ones at another time. But Joel 3, 1 and 2. For behold, in those days, at that time, when I bring back the captives of Judah to Jerusalem, I will gather all nations. In the time that he brings back the captives to Jerusalem, I will gather all nations and will bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. It doesn't say he will gather together a nation like the Romans, but he will gather together all nations. The valley of Jehoshaphat is the valley, um, is the Jezreel Valley with the, the valley of Megiddo by it, where Armageddon will be fought, which we know what that is, right? And I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people, my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations, they have also divided my land. That's Joel 3, 1 and 2. Speaks of in the end of days, the nations coming against Israel, God fighting against them in the battle of Armageddon because they divided the land of Israel. I just went over with you how the land was divided in Israel. Again, it's not a defense of what Israel is doing today. It's simply making a statement and how amazing Joel chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 is. Isaiah 66, 8. It says, Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such a thing? Shall the earth be made to give birth in a day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion is in labor, Zion is the mountains of Jerusalem. There is a mountain peak called Zion. The whole mountain, Moriah, all of that is called Zion. For as soon as Zion is in labor, she gave birth to her children. And Israel became literally a nation in a day. Amos chapter 9, verse 14. And I will bring back the captives of my people Israel, and they shall build the wasted cities and inhabit them. 
They shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them. They shall also make gardens to eat fruit from them. I will plant them in their land, and no longer shall they be pulled up. God will plant them in the land, and they will not be removed. For the land I have given them, says the Lord. Zechariah 12, verse 1. Then the burden of the word of the Lord against Israel. Thus says the Lord. And notice that a lot of these are prophecies against Israel. God's prophesying the judgment he's bringing because they're not doing the right thing. There are critics today who criticize Israel. God is one of their biggest critics. And who's to say that he wouldn't be a critic of things they are doing today as well? This is not a defense of the nation of Israel. It's just saying that God had given them the land. The burden of the word of the Lord against Israel, thus says the Lord, who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundations of the earth, and forms the spirit of man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples when they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem. It's, it's like they come against them like they're drunk and God's going to destroy them. And it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples. Everybody's going to, it's like this heavy stone for everybody. All who would heave it away will surely be cut to pieces. Though all nations of the earth are gathered against it, note that all nations gathered against Israel, in that day, says the Lord, I will strike every horse with confusion and its rider with badness. I will open my eyes on the house of Judah and I will strike every horse and peoples with blindness and the governors of Judah shall say in their hearts, the inhabitants of Jerusalem are my strength in the Lord of hosts, their God. In that day, I will make the governors of Judah like a fire pan in the woodpile, like a fiery torch in the sheaves. They shall devour the surrounding peoples on the right hand and the left, but Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place in Jerusalem. Uh, I don't know if I have a reference for this last one. Let me start to read this last one. I'll give you the reference when I remember. All right. The Lord will save his tenants from Judah first, that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem shall not become greater than that of Judah. In that day, the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem on one who is feeble among that day shall be like David and the house of David shall be like God and the angel of the Lord before them. And it shall be on that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour on the house of David, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication. This is a continuation of Zechariah, by the way. This is Zechariah chapter 1. Um, I'm about to read verse 10. And I quoted this earlier. And I will pour on the house of David. It took me that long to recognize it. I will pour on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication, then they will look upon me whom they pierced, God speaking, and yes, will mourn for him as one who mourns for an only son and grieve him as one who grieves for a firstborn. In that day, there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem like the mourning of Haddon and Ribbon. And it goes on to talk about the mourning that is there. So these are just a handful of passages that I semi-randomly selected that say the same thing as dozens of other passages do about the nation of Israel being brought back into the land, the nations of the world surrounding them, and God fighting for Israel. It's not only the Gog and Magog passages. And as we watch this thing unfold over the next few days, as we see it intensify 
as we see Iran and Saudi Arabia and the U.S. and Russia trying to pull their strings for what's taking place in Israel, realize that this is not anything that's going to be taken care of quickly. It is something that is going to drag on. It may turn back down to a simmer, which it's been for a lot of years. We were in Israel two times ago, so maybe like four years ago or five years ago, and we were going into the Pool of Siloam, and it's right by a Palestinian neighborhood, and all of a sudden I'm standing with Dan Swanson, who's the pastor of Calvary Midtown, and Scott Richards, who's the pastor of Calvary Christian, um, over on the, on the freeway, and a rock slams right by, right next to Dan's head. And I turn around and I look, and from this Palestinian neighborhood are all of these rocks that are backed by the sky. And so we dive into the, the place, and Scott gets hit in the head with a rock, and another lady in our group gets hit with a rock as well, and um, that's the story of how I was stoned in Jerusalem. Just wanted to let you guys know that story. I had a rock hit a bus one other time, but never in all of, I've been to Israel over a dozen times. That's the only real event that I had happen while, while we were there. And uh, it just reminds us that this is not going away soon. And the fact that Israel is in control of Jerusalem. Let me just say one more thing about how this could be, and then I'm done for sure, about how this could be further down the road. The time of the Gentiles might not be done yet. God may be waiting until Israel controls the entire east side of Jerusalem. When Israel controls the entire east side of Jerusalem and the Temple Mount. That could be the starting clock for the generation that doesn't see the end. There will be a generation that doesn't see the end. It may be us. It may have started in 48. It may have started in 67. It may start at some point in the future. And that could be way down the road. I just once again, once again want to give some caution to those who like to set dates. Trust me, there are all kinds of people out there who love to set dates. There are people that I would consider otherwise to be cautious, good Bible teachers that get a little reckless when it comes to this area. We want to be careful that we don't do that, but we want to be excited that Jesus could come back at any moment. The Bible says, and how should we feel about that? Well, we should, we should get busy. We should be praying for people who don't know Jesus. The Bible says that God shortened the days because there would have been no flesh that would remain. God waits as long as he possibly can so that man would eventually destroy himself. So God is so long suffering, he waits as long as he can and then he has to do it because man's gonna destroy himself. And so God finally brings the end around. The Bible says that God isn't slack concerning his promises because people mock and say, where's the promise of Jesus is coming? Every, every generation has said this. Well, every generation has had Israel, first of all. Number two, it says God's not slack concerning his promises, but God desires that all would be saved and all would come to the knowledge of the truth. And although we want the excitement of being in the rapture of the church and going to be with Jesus, if we aren't and God pushes it further out, more people are gonna come to Christ. I gotta end it there. I wanna say a lot more, but I can't. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, we wanna thank you that we could kind of take this little excursion today and look at what the Bible has to say about the nation of Israel. We consider what's taking place over there even as we are talking about these things. Lord, we pray that you would stir our hearts up, that we would be hungry to be filled with your spirit, to be living in such a way that people would see Christ in us, the hope of glory, that people would come to Christ as we see these things coming to pass. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 
Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.